Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi guys, welcome back to Web3 The New Era. Today we're interviewing June Boss, a professional chef turned Web3 marketing lead for the fellowship, an NFT project that has created an intuitive, user-friendly, no-code launchpad to simplify the process of starting an NFT project for those that are interested but lack the technical expertise. Listen in to hear June Boss talk about the realities of traditional jobs, how Web3 has flipped the script on what it means to be successful, the secret of garnering authentic, long-lasting connections, the fresh ideas he's brought to the fellowship's marketing strategy, the art of copywriting to showcase your product simply but beautifully, the implications of large corporations infiltrating the NFT space, and much more. Okay, enough preamble. Let's get into the interview. All right, and we are live. So today we have June Boss here with us, who is the marketing lead over at the fellowship, but he also does other things in the space that I won't really get into because I will pass it over to you, June Boss, to share a little bit about yourself. Hello. So my name's June Boss. I've been in Web3 for about almost, I want to say like a full-time year now at this point. I'm the marketing lead for the fellowship, and I spend a lot of time as a guide in everything now. I'm 27 years old, and honestly, just really excited to be here, Aurora. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for that. So how long have you been in the crypto and NFT space? Like, when did you first start getting into this space? And then also, when did you start finding work here? So I first got into crypto, actually, a little bit closer to 2013, 2014. Nothing grandiose. And then with NFTs, JPEGs, and Web3, I want to say I dove in close to a year ago. I was exploring different chains. And then um, I had a long time, like, I want to say decade-long friend be like, have you heard of Solana? And uh, that's how I ended up here. I started working full-time in Web3 December, January of 2021, and I'm here to stay. That's awesome. So before you went full-time in Web3, can you talk a little bit more about what you were doing for work at that time? Yeah, uh, for sure. So, I mean, I was still taking odd jobs here and there in regards to small copy jobs with like websites and, you know, just like people needing editing with their proposals or marketing campaigns. But before that, I was running a multi-million dollar restaurant for about four years. I had been a professional chef for 10 years of my life. I went to culinary school, got a degree in pastry, and then really just started studying marketing and copywriting as a means to market my own work. That's really how it all came about. And we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording the episode, but how did you come to the decision to just go for it, to just go full-time in Web3 and follow kind of what your newfound passion was? Well, I mean, okay, so that's a multi-layered question for me. I think the most important deciding factor in that was how much I wanted autonomy over my own life. If I fail, I fail. If at least, like, it's on me truly right and so i was really just inspired by the fact that like i wanted to make a name for myself and i wanted to see how far i could take it on my own outside of the traditional like business model of work nine to five go home sleep work nine to five go home sleep and do it for pennies on the dollar of of the value i was actually creating and so i really just wanted to test the waters yeah i can definitely 
relate to that. And I think a lot of people in our generation and the generation after us can relate to that because we've kind of come to this sort of, at least from what I can tell, this like collective consciousness of people wanting to build something for themselves and wanting to work for themselves and prioritizing mental health and work-life balance over staying at a nine to five for 50 plus years until you retire. So that sentiment is definitely something I'm seeing more and more of, especially with the freelancer economy and the creator economy growing so rapidly and at such an exponential rate, particularly once the pandemic started, it feels like more and more people started moving towards this. You had said something before. It was more like, um, you know, I'd rather live to work than work to live. And I think that really just summarizes how I feel on that. Oh, yeah, I'd rather work to live than live to work. Speaking from my own experience, I'm not sure, Nolan and Dumas, if you guys have had similar experiences, but for a lot of my life, I was living to work. And it was probably only until last year that I sort of woke up from that. And I was kind of like, do I want to spend the rest of my you know, young adult life doing something that doesn't make me happy, doing something that I'm not passionate about? And maybe the answer is yes. Some people do end up going that traditional route and are totally happy and content with that. But if you're not, then one of the purposes of this podcast is to show people that there are other options. And you don't have to feel like you're stuck because in 2022, there's so much opportunity out there to do something non-conventional and make a life out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I want to say before I moved to Web3, I mean, I was salaried. I was making about $68,000 a year, all inclusive with benefits. It was absolutely livable. But what I realized is that my labor was being exploited and I was working. I mean, like I said, I was salaried, but in, in the restaurant hospitality industry, long hours of the norm. And in the middle of the pandemic, with all the staffing shortages, um, I want to say I was working between 80 to 120 hours a week. And being a chef was something I was really extremely passionate about. But what I realized is that my passion was being exploited, and I just decided to act against that. Kind of shout out to you, Aurora, for building Web3 Connect. When I made my transition into Web3 and I was scouting work, I, I, I don't know how. I, I don't know what the sequence of events was, but I, I came across Web3 Connect and I saw a really organized hub for job sourcing for freelancers, for copywriters, for marketers, for devs, for artists. And I said, this is an opportunity. I'm going to shoot my shot. And, you know, here we are today. So thank you, Aurora. I appreciate your existence. <laughs> I love to hear that. You know that already. And, and I appreciate you being such an avid supporter of me and, and of Web3 Connect. I am really curious, after being in the restaurant industry for so long and being a chef and kind of in the kitchen with that sort of high pressure environment, are there any like particular experiences or skills that you found that you gained from that that you've sort of been able to transfer and bring in to allow you to be successful here in Web3? Or are they just kind of completely like two sides of the field? No, no. So it, I, I want to say that everything that I know came from the hospitality industry, right? So one of the biggest things is customer service first, right? Like how to be people facing, especially so I worked in an open kitchen, you could see everything we were doing, you could talk to us, you could engage with us. Um, 
I ran a staff of about 30 line cooks and dishwashers. And, you know, I was responsible for all the ordering, the hiring, the staffing, the interviews, and even like promotional materials for the restaurant. And so I think it did tie over really well, especially with like networking and communicating with people. There's a lot that can be taken away from being with people. And actually, I feel slightly more confident in the Web3 realm because of that background and knowledge. There's a lot of things and a lot of unexpected turns and tides that can happen in the hospitality industry. So it really just trained me to not be surprised and ride the ebb and flows of the world. And as long as you have a clear cut vision and a plan, like you'll come out on top. And I feel like to that extent, it's awesome that you're working with fellowship because it's not too common that you get to work with a project that's actually building something for the long term. And I know that one of your primary roles is marketing lead with them. So for listeners that might not be familiar with the fellowship, can you talk about what you do and more specifically what your roles and responsibilities are? Yeah, absolutely. So they onboarded me, I want to say closing in on close to 60 days ago. One of the main things is all of their time currently is being spent developing their platform. So what they did is they built a no code launch platform that allows anyone regardless of their technical ability to launch their own NFT project. And one of their core things was really being for the people. So I mean, there's a lot of competition out there in the space. And so my role is to showcase what they have to offer via their socials, via Discord, via Twitter, you know, Twitter, TikTok, Reddit. So a lot of my time is spent networking and connecting with individuals. Currently, I'm helping them redo the copy for their updated websites, uh, for the creator machine and the fellowship, putting together branding guides, deciding which font showcases the brand the best and captures the kind of elements we're trying to incorporate into our project. And so I guess one of my biggest responsibilities is sourcing clients. And so a lot of that's done via Twitter, but I also spend maybe eight to 10 hours a day on Discord, just popping into different DAOs and talking to artists, creators, devs, engineers, entrepreneurs, and seeing who out there is trying to launch a project and how we can make that a reality. On the creator machine, what they did, I think, is incredibly genius. They offered two different services. So they built a, like I said, a no-code platform. So you could just use their software. And everything from A to Z in regards to launching your collection from candy machine setup, metadata setup, mint site creation, all that's handled by the software. And so if someone wants to launch a project, they could launch, a, in theory, a 5K collection for under six soul if they choose to do it themselves. That's the part about being inclusive that really drew me to the fellowship. And then in addition to that, they do like a premium service package where we now have a staff of 11 to 10 active engineers and developers who basically handle everything on the client end. My role in that is to secure the deal, negotiate with clients and bring them into the fellowship. That sounds like a lot of onboarding. It even sounds like sales to some extent. Yeah, it tends to bleed together. Like while I'm working on the website, while I'm doing their branding guidelines, it just because I'm really boots on the ground in terms of Web3, like I'm probably staring realistically at my screen 12 to 16 hours a day, either through mobile or my desktop. But it's fulfilling to me. Honestly, I, I don't know what it is. Also, it has to do with the fact that Matt Landau and Stanley Yang are excellent founders and owners. And they're really understanding like what drew me to them is they asked me how I'm doing. I don't think I ever heard that in my 10 years in the restaurant industry. They're like, <laughs> I got COVID when I was working for them. And they're like, are you okay? Do you need us to send you medicine? Like, are you, are you going to make it? Do you want us to cut your workload? Like, we got you, dude. And th that really set a new standard for me as far as like employers go. <laughs> it's just, 
I was blown away. I was I've never in my life have I experienced that. Wow, that's awesome. It's funny you mentioned like what? How many hours did you say? Like a day on Discord, like sourcing. Like I remember you said, "Live the work, not work to live." And here you are working with so many hours. But this was something I, I was doing already before. Um, mm-hmm. So like part of like everything that was like onboarding people into web3 about the do's the don'ts the dangers of and so one of my good friends amari uh, he founded that project from the remnants of a rug and it was all really just friends we were all friends in there we all got rugged <laughs> and we we're like well how do we build something from this we, we talk to each other so many hours a day and so we built this platform and it's got a hundred ish active users now of like everyone from web3 workers to nft dgens to you know traders and we've built something really cool and they kind of pushed me i think one of the biggest things is like i know i said i wasn't like trying to work myself to death anymore but when it's with your friends and when you're able to uplift the people around you it doesn't feel so much like work i know that if i look at my screen and i can get my friend a job in the philippines as a mod for a thousand dollars every two weeks that's life-changing money for someone and i can feel good about that and they do the same for me That's awesome. One thing I'm curious about, because I know you had a little bit of marketing experience kind of before your role with the fellowship as like a copywriter. And I I suppose you almost do like brand design, right? Like, do you have any advice for someone who kind of wants to get into that? And what would it take to kind of hone that skill set? So I think one thing is like the reason I really got into the design aspect of it too, was it's a lot like building a plate in a high-end restaurant, right? It's like, how do you showcase your ingredients or in this case, your product simply but beautifully and in, in a way that stays true to your vision? So my best advice is to build a portfolio. No amount of time spent building your own brand or your own portfolio is time wasted. Every day you create something is something else you can showcase in the field. So like you could really do this with a minimal amount of tooling. Like honestly, one of my favorite tools to use is Canva Pro. It's $9.99 a month, but it gives you access to so many templates and designs and fonts and formats that you can really create beautiful work without having to come out of pocket thousands of dollars. <laughs> so when you mentioned Canva, are you talking about, um, you're not talking about the copyright work itself, right? You're talking about like the design and like the font choices and whatnot. Yeah, I, I typically start in a Google Doc. Like if I'm doing website copy, I'll do a Google Doc and then I'll do drafts in Canva or Figma to kind of see how it would look and how I can make it pop. I can send you guys some samples in the future of like things I've done with Canva and Figma as well. No, please do. Can you touch on the copyright part itself? My curiosity is I see projects that are writing up announcements that were written in like half broken English or the spelling errors, just all these little things are everywhere. And it really bugs me. But can you get paid doing that? What does the copyright part of that look like? Absolutely. So there's a few sections to it, but mainly is to say things as clearly and concisely as possible. So like you can start with like line editing, right? Like a lot of these discord posts like that you're talking about, All they really need is a line editor to go through, get rid of redundancies, clean up typos, spelling errors. As far as like copy that I'm experienced with. So I used to do website work with Lucky Shogun Casino. So they're Australian based. But the thing is, they're not writers. And so like you said, like a lot of it was just like things that don't sound organic. So a lot of my copywriting work has been doing like SEO optimization for for websites and companies without making it read like a robot, like Jarvis AI wrote it. (laughs) You know, I think touching back a little bit on that, like 
Web3 is really global, but a majority of the audience, the NFT audience tends to read things in English. And so I think that does contribute to some of those. But, it, you know, you could be paid easily like $25 to $45 an hour doing copywriting work. A lot of where you see those errors coming from is the $5 an hour, $15 a document, Fiverr writers. So you mentioned building your own kind of portfolio. Can you do that as a copywriter? Just like go to different projects and do copyright for them without really consulting? What does that process look like? How would you build your own portfolio? So I think one thing that I did personally is like in the early days, I want to say back in December, January, um, I was really into the Money Boys and I had picked up a relatively large collection of them. And I had reached out to Money Boy Ox and Sticky Rice I was like, hey, I'd really like to do an article mock-up for you. I did a spread for like Portals. I did a spread for Money Boys. I did a spread for Saluminati. I try to make it like a journal. Like if you were to rip a page out of a, a Rolling Stone and instead of music, you framed it as an NFT project, that's really the approach I took. So I did like a bunch of mock articles and medium articles and I would make like coffee table covers and I saved all of them. I try to make them as aesthetic as possible. I used Canva to clean it up and then I just sent it to them. A lot of it was just shooting my shot at projects and being like, this is what I can do. This is what I've made. If you guys want more of this in the future, let me know. And then it kind of spiraled from there. I got some contracts on Near actually through Web3 Connect for like roadmap design. There is a project on, on Near doing something similar. And so I did their roadmaps for them. I did their white paper for them. They just sent me like the basic text and information that they wanted to include. And I made it look beautiful for them. I love to hear how you've kind of found your way in this space through like kind of starting out with copywriting. And I know eventually you kind of landed this role as marketing lead with fellowship. Can you talk a little bit about like how you got this role with fellowship? I mean, it, it's a great team, solid utility. It really seems like an ideal role. You know, I think a lot of people would love to land a job like that. I love that question. Okay, so no, I didn't know the founders personally. No, I didn't have any secret, sh super shadowy uh, Web3 connections. And, you know, for everyone that's listening, I, I think this is really the most important thing I'll say in the whole interview. I shot my shot. I sent them a portfolio. I told them what I was experienced with, who I've done work with before, and I opened up a conversation. And that really is how I landed the job. I took the best of what I had. I showcased it to them. I saw that they had an opening available for it, and I shot my shot. If it's 100% of the shots you don't take, you know, I took it, and it, it was a three-pointer. It swished. And as far as that, like, I really think that the fellowship was one of those unicorn Web3 jobs where you have a you know, actual team building infrastructure and services in the space. And whether Solana's at 36 or Solana's at 150, the fellowship and creator machine will still be around because they, they have an actual business. The freelance career has not been all sunshine. Like, definitely, I've had my share of, like, good projects, bad projects, projects I never got paid for. It was all ups and downs. But with Web3 Connect, you, you've done your best to mitigate any of those circumstances and call out bad actors and bad employers and really try to put people first. So, you know, Aurora, you, you've done a lot for this space. Thank you. Thank you so much. I... Love to hear that because 
I've always been, even as a kid, I very much had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Like I was creating businesses left and right as a kid and I would like create jewelry or I started drawing. I thought I was going to be a tattoo artist at one point. And like ever since I was young, I've known that I wanted to, you know, make an impact beyond just working for, you know, a corporate job. And Web3 really is giving people a shot to do that. It's providing the platform and the connections and the mechanism to just decide what you're passionate about and create something around that that can actually have a long lasting impact. And that's one of the biggest things I appreciate about the fellowship and it being one of the projects, honestly, one of the few projects, in my opinion, out there that you can tell are here for the long run, are here to create a business and an enterprise that is providing actual long term value for its customers. You can kind of tell that that is the sentiment that you guys are trying to permeate and create create for the space, which I, I absolutely love to see. And, and you said something that really stuck with me. You know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. In this space, and really in Web2 as well, in traditional jobs, you can create a job for yourself. So I don't know if Matt and, and the fellowship was actively looking for a marketing lead at the time. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But this is just one example of where if you kind of put yourself out there, you can actually create a role that maybe wasn't even there to be begin with because you have a conversation with somebody and they like you for who you are. They like your background experience and they're like, hey, you know what? We actually could use somebody to do that. And then boom, all of a sudden you have a new job. So it's just so important to put yourself out there. And, and June Bus is a Thanks clear so example right. of that. Thank you so much. So June Boss, I know that you mentioned a, a little bit ago, you did like SEO work for traditional Web2 companies and trying to broaden their exposure. But I get the feeling that wouldn't really work for Web3 and these NFT projects, because regardless of whether or not fellowship shows up on a Google search, the barrier to entry to make a Solana phantom wallet and then to put funds in it and to buy it, like it's just a whole different audience. So I'm curious... Can you touch on like how you direct your marketing towards an audience that's kind of ever evolving and has different demands, even as the space is changing in the short term? Like we've seen several meta shifts happen already. How do you stay on top of that? Absolutely. To start with that, two of my biggest tools are obviously going to be, you got to be where the people are. Discord and Twitter are my best friends in regards to marketing for the fellowship. Like you said, the barrier to entry is high. So right now, my focus has been on capturing market share inside of the people already in the industry. With the Creator Machine site, we're looking to make it as an informational hub, like a blog. So what we're going to do is touch upon, you know, various educational topics across the industry. So we'll talk about like how to not get rugged, basic security measures with Web3, the, the, the intrinsics of launching your own project, and really just try to build content that newer users might happen across if they were to type in like the keywords like Solana or Phantom Wallet or, you know, Solana NFTs. I do see what you're saying, right? Is like, what is the, the likelihood? How many people are typing that into Google that don't already know how to get in? Like, I wouldn't have gotten into Solana if my friend didn't walk me through the process initially, right? Like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. It wasn't really intuitive. And so in regards to the meta change, you know, one thing is I'm just one person and with the fellowship, it's all devs, all devs and project, you know, our project manager or devs or engineers or support staff. I'm the only marketing outside like 
not dev guy. So what I did is I tried to figure out how to leverage my own time and effort. I wanted to give our holders a reason to be active, right? And what I did is I started an ambassador program for the fellowship where I talked to Matt and Stanley about opening it to, you know, 10 to 20 people at first until we can scale to match what they're bringing in. But what we did is we offered them a 10% cut of our launch profit. And that goes directly to the person who sourced the job. And through that, I found that our people have been a lot more engaging and they're reaching out to 20, 25 communities a day when, you know, I couldn't match all their output at once. So are you leveraging, not leveraging, I mean, that is the word, but it sounds <laughs> slightly, uh, it's... yeah, I'm, I'm not exploiting them, but really I just offered them a fair cut, right? So if one of them landed a 5k collection and they were able to negotiate out a rate of like five to 10%, they get 10% of whatever rate they negotiated. So however much time they want to put into that and they can value that when they're setting up the terms and then they send it over to us. The other thing with the meta, right, is like we do see a bunch of different projects coming through. Like there is a point where it's a derivative meta and we're like, holy shit, we have 20 plus derivative projects coming through us now the one thing is like you never want to launch a rug but with our self-service platform we don't actually have any direct control over who uses that because we wanted to leave it open for anyone who wanted to use it um so unless we get clear sight like hey this person's a serial rugger and we start to track their wallet addresses and all their like important information right like we'll shut down a rug immediately if we know but recently it seems to be coming back to utilities and tool sets and and services and it's really exciting to see it is and i'm sure you're seeing on discord and twitter like we're starting to see everyone calling for a builder's meta now that personally i don't know how long that really lasts one project in particular really had my attention and it made me wonder about the kind of maybe experiments that you guys could run so i'm thinking of mountain pay in particular or mountain friends is the name of the collection i don't know if you've heard of them I, I have. I saw them. I thought it was really cool just being able to mobile QR code and boom, purchase. Mm -hmm. And to that, I'm wondering, like, one, that's experimental and that's really cool. Two, like, the first thing I thought of is as the fellowship, as the kind of group that can launch that project, I wonder if you could market yourselves as, like, the backbone of, like, experimental or, like, daring projects that can, like, leverage that mountain pay technology. I don't know how far along. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of dev work that needs to be integrated with that, but it just, it opened my mind to that possibility of, it could be how you present yourself of the people that launch using fellowship, they also tend to experiment in the space, and that's really good for everybody for growing the pie. Yeah, no, honestly, hold on. You you gave me a brilliant idea. So immediately following this podcast, I'm going to be reaching out to Mountain Pay and opening up a conversation with them. And, you know, it kind of does tie into the other things that we do offer. So like with the fellowship, if a project wants to do a project mint in their own native token, we can do that as well. And then in addition to that, like you can pay in fiat with our project. And I'm trying to remember the um, cross pay. And so, you know, that would be really exciting, right? Is like, hey, how can we work with like a fintech startup and, and maybe create something innovative out of it? So, yeah, no, thank you for that idea. I'm going to absolutely reach out to them all like this. And, and then, uh, you know, uh, with your last question, you know, is, is the target audience remain the same? Um, look, we've launched 280 plus projects on our platform. When I checked a couple weeks ago, we were 10% of the total NFTs created on Solana. And it keeps compounding on 
each other. Like there, there has not been any slowdown at all. Me personally, I've probably watched about 50, 60 projects launch at this point, And I see such a diverse group of people, even in like the upper percentiles, like, you know, the ranges between 17 years old to 47 launching a project. Web3 is truly for everybody that's interested. It's been an even mix of both women and men that I've talked to in the space. Equally diverse in like background, like where are you from? Like I worked with people from Malaysia, worked with people from England. Um, it's a little hard managing all the time zones, but I guess that's the part of being a JPEG gremlin that doesn't sleep. <laughs> Yeah, love the work, right? <laughs> you know, but I, I I find fulfillment. There's something about this where I, like I'm making enough where I, you know, I live in the United States and I live on the East Coast and I live in a major city. Things are extremely expensive, so I'm not living lavish, but you know, I'm I'm making enough to cover all my expenses, not have to worry about you know health insurance, car insurance, a roof over my head, and food in my belly. And at the end of the day, like I go to sleep happy and I wake up happy. And I don't think I've felt like that in a decade. So it's life changing. <laughs> yeah. And it's really cool. Even talking to you, I didn't realize how much of a backbone to the whole ecosystem. You could argue that the fellowship is playing. You said 10% of projects. 10%. That's nuts. That is nuts. Dude. I, I want to say, like I said, the key contributing factors to that is the fact that we offer both a self-service and a premium option. Um, mm -hmm. And so like, I can touch a little bit upon this now. It's not confidential information, but like in the branding guide, really what drew me is I was talking to Matt and Stanley and like Fellowship DAO is truly for the people, right? That's how I've been landing all these contracts is because I'm offering them a rate of 5 to 10% to launch their project and we're not taking a royalty from them afterwards. I have love for the other launch pads and all the other builders in the space, but a lot of them tend to take 10 to 20% up front right in mint cost in addition to 10% in secondary royalties and those are all funds that could be used to really make a project either live or die and our thing is like once we launch the project we're not actively contributing to building them right like it's not like we're offering them unless they come back to us for additional services like hey we need a metadata update or hey we're launching a second collection can you help us with this and so it doesn't seem right to take power away from other creators right and so when I explain that to people launching their own project, they're like, you don't take a royalty, you only charge five to 10%, or I could do it myself for under like $1,000, or I guess Solana's at like 37 right now. So like, <laughs> you know, not that much really. And then immediately clicks. And so we're, we're a sleeper. I think the biggest thing is like, currently we're developing the roadmap 2.0 and tokenomics. And a lot of what the fellowship offers is creator forward. So the focus of the next month or two is to make everything holder forward and make our holders complete as well and give them an incentive to hold the fellowship. I like that. I was going to ask actually yeah, how you're going to kind of create those holder incentives. That might be confidential information, but I am curious. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Unfortunately, so we, we are having an AMA with Matt and Stanley on Wednesday at 9 p.m. So, you know, I can't say anything or they'll kill me probably and <laughs> I won't be in Web3 anymore. But the stuff that they're cooking up is really good because the, the whole thing holding them back before is we're a US-based company. You have to abide by the laws of the land yep. unless you want to end up in jail with zero <laughs> and a massive fine on your head. And that would kill the project. So I think the way that they're doing it is innovative, smart, and probably the, the safest and best way to go. Nice. I did want to ask you, so is there anything that in particular that you see a lot of projects that are neglecting when it comes to good marketing? Um, or maybe in other words, like marketing tactics you've seen to be really successful? I mean, 
it's funny. I would actually say that maybe the marketing of recent projects has been a little too good. Dare I say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Here's my honest thoughts on that. So I see a lot. There's quite a few projects that come in. And I think Soulport Tom had made a post about this the other day. And it was like, we have projects coming in to launch through our platform that like need devs engineers marketing like the whole shebang a through z like what 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 are you guys really like going to build once you launch right like if you need everything done for you so what i do is because i work in marketing and copywriting i offer our clients like i we don't do it for them right like but what we will do is we'll give them guidance and best approaches if someone's doing like a premium launch or a product i offer them one to two hours of consultation time a week where they can just ping me up and be like this is where i'm at this is what i need where do you think i should go from here I'm absolutely like down to help with that. I think the main thing though is they don't focus on building an actual community. And one of the best cases I've seen of successful community building recently has been Ghostface, uh, made by Wag Me Idiot and my my friend Soulcat actually, and maybe he'd be a really good um, interview host. So they started off as a one of one artist for the Boogles. And then just started building connections in the space. And next thing you know, they launched Ghostface Gen 2, sold out a couple thousand supply and made it. But the thing is, like, they built an organic community of real people, of real friends and offered incentives for people to be in the Discord. A lot of people just think that, you know, they take the Balloonsville method of closed Discord, first hundred reacts, right? And then as soon as you mint out, there's no sense of cohesiveness. You're not speaking to a particular archetype. You're speaking to a group of DGENs who have no loyalty to each other. But if you can curate an image in a particular set of people, so like Ghostface tends to draw a lot of musicians, artists, creators, and also degenerates, but they all share something in common there. I've asked this question to a few projects launching through our platform, like who's your core target audience? And they haven't been able to answer that. They just say everyone. I'm like, everyone isn't a everyone is in the core target audience yeah that's definitely something that i've noticed in the space as well which we've actually talked about this a little bit in regards to the pitch party thing that we're looking to do which is the fact that a lot of projects are coming into the space with really no prior experience in business marketing branding or anything that could be like relevant to creating founding a startup and making it successful yet a lot of these projects are ending up successful and that's great to see but i think we need to start seeing some of those like foundational business concepts brought into the space if we want to create a more mature a more professional working economy and and workforce in web3 in the future and speaking of pitch party so i know you recently approached us general soul Bounty Hunters, Fearless Bulls, with the idea of starting this thing that we eventually called Pitch Party. And it would be kind of like a Twitter Spaces series, similar to Shark Tank, but with some core differences. Can you talk a little bit about the vision for this and how everything would actually work? Yeah, absolutely. I want to say you and Fearless Bulls were some of the first people I had talked to about this idea. I think a lot of it is how can you encompass everything that's important about a project launch, right? So like, at the beginning is staffing services, right? It's like, do you have the appropriate staff to run a project? Like, do you have mods? Do you have community managers? Do you have someone running your socials? Do you have devs and engineers working? And a lot of the time, they don't know where to start or where to find people with that. And so it starts with you guys, right? Like, is you provide the the, the people that, that make things happen. So from there, right, like, you have the proper staffing services, then you need to make sure that 
your idea makes sense? Can it be profitable? Can it be executed well? And so that's why I picked General Soul and Bounty Hunters as kind of like VC investor types that, that can analyze a project and be like, this one's going to make it, this one's not going to make it. And then ultimately, um, with us as a launch pad, right, is like the other day I was having a conversation with someone and someone's like, they're talking about getting a mint site created for them. And I asked them what they were going to get charged. And they said about 5,000 US dollars up front. And I threw up in my mouth. Another time I talked to someone else about launching a project. And they're like, yeah, I'm getting a staking system built for me. Custom contract is going to be about 3K when you have people that have already established staking platforms that aren't going to run you out of your pockets like that. So what I really wanted to build was kind of like an interview hub, right, where you would take a project that they think they have a good business model and they could explain thoroughly and give them an opportunity to showcase it to multiple established projects and DAOs and really just kind of get like the, the affirmation that what they're doing is on its way to being successful, provided that they can just do the execution of it well. And I want to say like, you, you had some of the best ideas that I've heard when we were talking about the project itself. I remember that uh, brainstorming session we had on it maybe about a, a month ago at this point. I can't remember when that was. But when you came to me with this idea, I was like, I love it. Like I've seen other Shark Tank Twitter spaces and I haven't really listened in to many of them. Um, so I can't really speak towards how they're approaching it. But I think the panelists and the partners that you sort of brought together to make this idea happen is what is going to differentiate this Shark Tank pitch party from a lot of the other ones that might be out there in the space. Like all of the judges and panelists, like you were just explaining, come from a different background with a different expertise. And I think those different perspectives commenting on the project ideas is going to be super, super interesting. So I really cannot wait for that. Quick question about that, actually. So I know that uh, it was a few months ago now, I know Golden Blazer has been really busy with um, building out the Web3 kind of university platform and the Soul Army Academy. But before that, he was doing a Twitter space it's called The Hot Seat, where he would invite a project onto the Twitter space and he would just ask them really, really hard questions. I mean, as someone who runs the tokenomics for the Army, it's a really intricate thing to do. I'm curious, one, if you have like a tokenomics expert on there, I'm sure you do. Um, but two, like, are you really trying to get a sense of what these projects are doing and just give them a showcase to to present themselves well or are you trying to grill them at the same time and kind of poke holes in, in their model and see where they can improve both i think actually aurora and i had like a 20 30 minute conversation about this before it gives them the opportunity right like a lot of people can't elaborate exactly what their concept is really like they, they're like you know we got tokenomic staking we have uh, breeding we have mutations and it's like but what does any of that really mean what are you trying to accomplish with that and you know for some reason people buy that time in and time out they're like yeah but i can upgrade with my tokenomics i can stake this jpeg and get a worthless native token and upgrade to my jack too but at the end of the day what is it really worth aurora and i stumbled across the same person um, that i think would be a really good example for the the project so I, i've been in talks with this guy uh, frame games he's the founder of the jittery ape i started talking to him about a month ago and he has a web 2 coffee company and brand where like he has all the beans sourced he's fully doxxed he's like it's a company he made with him and his wife and they they have an actual business model and when i've talked to him on discord multiple times he's been able to fully elaborate on his idea and his businesses and where the money's going to go and how he plans to scale and how he plans to expand and that's the kind of person that i'd love to showcase on that right where it's less you know like 
less grilling and more just hearing about what they're going to do to succeed. At the same time, we're going to have applicants that maybe don't have as fleshed out ideas or haven't fully thought out their concept. And I think it would be a good opportunity for them to hear from projects that have already launched on like either what they could do better, right? Like instead of just being like pass or fail, right? It's like, hey, these are the only things that kind of concern me about where you're going um, with your direction. Like if you can address these, I think you'll have a solid project on your hands. So instead of more or less like a entertainment segment, I just also want to be able to uplift people and make sure that they're successful in their endeavors. Nothing hurts more than putting three, four time, three, four months worth of work into something to watch it not reach the conclusion that you had hoped for. So anywhere that we can really help with that is, I think, something magical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to echo that, I think one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to is asking those tough questions that really prove if the founders have thought through their target audience, their value proposition, their core values, their utility, and and what that means in the long term. And if they've actually put thought into what like the forecast of where all of that money is actually going to go, like how much money are you asking for? How is it being allocated? Like things that I personally feel like, and and maybe I'm, I'm speculating, but I personally feel like a lot of projects aren't really thinking through and hashing through. And granted, you don't need to think about all of those things to be successful and successfully launch an NFT project as we have seen time and time again. But again, if we want to create that sort of professional, mature working economy, which I really am passionate about and want to contribute to creating in the Web3 space, then we need to start asking those types of questions and putting those expectations on founders to explain themselves. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. And really, the whole idea of Pitch Party wouldn't have happened and wouldn't have came together without June Boss just having, you know, relationships with people and, you know, reaching out to us and saying, hey, let's do this. And that's one of the things I really admire about you, June Boss, is your ability to make genuine connections with people after like literally just speaking with them one time like your energy is very welcoming and you know when people speak with you it feels like they've kind of known you for years even though it's it's only maybe been a couple months and the importance of networking and connections is so integral to web3 but really across industries so what advice do you have for people looking to build their networks and looking to create like meaningful long lasting relationships with other people in the space First of all, you you made a little tear come out of my eye. That's that's really nice. <laughs> um, you know, I think really the most important thing you can do is make friends. Like if you, if you wake up in the morning and you say I'm going to be honest and I want to have a net positive impact on this ecosystem and on the people around me. That's really that's really the the, the secret, right? Is like never in my career have I contemplated doing something that would be harmful for someone else. And I've really just tried to build a personality around like, hey, let me connect you with this person that can help. Or like, hey, this person's looking for an artist. Let me let me set these two people up almost like a fixer. Right. And in doing so, I built this network, maybe inadvertently, but I didn't realize like the scale of like which I built it is like, you know, I can reach back to a roster of like five to ten artists. I can reach back to a roster of like five engineers and you do good things for people and good things come back. You know, it's not necessarily like an exchange of value, but just like an exchange of positivity. I hate saying it like that, but that's really what I think has contributed to at least my personal success in the field, right, is you do right and you don't falter with that. One of our first conversations, like like you said, like I, I really felt like I'd, I've known you for a while versus like 
you know, a few short months, but that's valuable. That's more valuable than money is who you know and and what your actual relationship is, right? Like you have your serial ruggers in the space and because of that, there'll be nothing but, you know, serial ruggers and bad actors, right? And then you have your people, like you were saying, like with General Soul, like who have done their best to create a, and, and you guys yourselves to, to create a, a meaningful impact on the space, right? Like you're truly the networking queen in, in all of this. <laughs> I definitely appreciate that because coming from a business background and even just in business school, and, and we've talked about this, No Land, like the concept of networking has always felt very disingenuous to me. It's always felt very forced and fake. And like, you know, the person you're talking to is just trying to get something out of you. And and that just always made me so uncomfortable. It feels fake. I think the thing is like just being just being true to yourself. And I think working from home or being in Web3, like I was telling someone else about this last night, it really opens that up where you can just be yourself, take it or leave it, right? Like you're not forced to become something you're not and say things you're not like. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the the culture that we've all built here in Web3 is very much like being authentically yourself, even though a lot of people are anonymous and not technically like fully putting themselves out there, like their personalities and how they carry themselves is very much true and authentic to themselves. And that inherently will allow you to create stronger, more meaningful relationships than being in the corporate world and having to like sort of mask and act a very specific way. I want to say like another contributing factor to like if someone else was like coming into the space and they're like, well, how do I, you know, how do I get someone to trust me? Right. Like I want to say one of like, what was one of the first things I did when we first talked to her first time? I flipped my camera on. I said, this is me as a person. I exist, you know, like, it's no longer mystery internet person. It's like, oh, there's a real life human being on the other side of the screen. And it, it kind of opens up that and then, you know, all of all of the actions that you take, like blockchains forever, baby. So <laughs> people know if you're good, people know if you're bad. And you, you just kind of build that as a daily task, right? Daily ops is how do I inspire someone? How do I uplift someone? That's the key to success. And actually, you bring up a really interesting point that I want to ask you more about and elaborate on because we've talked about this concept of doxing, right? And certain people not feeling comfortable sharing their real name, sharing their face, going on video. And that's like an automatic way to gain some level of trust, like you were just explaining with people. But how can we develop trust while still being anonymous is, I think, the question that a lot of people are asking because people are getting burned. People People are getting rugged because of the anonymity aspect in a decentralized space. And there are ways to get trust and build a reputation without showing your face. But I guess from your perspective, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. So with me, it all kind of ties back to, I know this is something we talked about a little bit, but everything now is the reason why I, I want to say they're a contributing factor to where I am today too. So it started there. It started with a small group of people, 40 to 50 people in the space that I talked to every day and was friends with. And so then it started with like, hey, I'm going to show my face. Hey, I'm going to help these people out. I built a resume that has some of my like Web2 real life details. I'm on LinkedIn. Being able to integrate Web2 parts of it, like you said, like that takes away from the anonymity of it all. But really, like I said, it all just comes back to like your actions have an impact. And if you've kept the same Discord profile for seven years and 
people can go back through various chats and see your search history and see like, oh, this person's always trying to help someone else out. That's a big part of it. Another thing too is just framing yourself professionally, right? Like when you're applying for like a Web3 position is to have a resume, like an act, like a CV, a resume, um, samples, and just show that like, hey, like I actually do the work. I'm not just saying that I'm doing the work. That's really important. Yeah, no, that's a really good point because you think about people like General Soul or Frank who have built those reputations for themselves just purely off of showing time and time again that they are, you know, staying true to themselves and wanting to create value in the space. And that's why people trust them, even though they don't actually, you know, know them in real life. Kind of shifting gears a little bit here. One of the things that we're looking to achieve with Web3 Connect is creating a little bit more income transparency and visibility into expectations around what you should get paid for community management, developers, artists, marketers, etc. And in the space right now, there really isn't much of that. And so what we usually like to ask is just if you're comfortable with sharing how much you make in your different roles in Web3, that would be really helpful information for us and for listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like I kind of fall into a weird niche position where like I do work for a service based industry. And like Noland was saying before, like part of my job does tie into sales and like I do get a commission based off those sales. So I get the exact same commission cut that our brand ambassadors get. I get 10% of the project launch provided I bring it in and I set the rate and I secure the deal. And in addition to that, what my partner helped me with is make a three-tiered pricing chart. So I would have to update the numbers because I get paid in USD and the initial uh, chart I made was priced in Seoul. But that was back when Seoul was 140. Um, and so I probably work about 60, 60, 70 hours a week once again, but I'm not, like I said, like that's not tiresome for me because I enjoy what I do, but I get paid about 4,500 a month to do this job. And my whole thing with, when I had negotiated my rate with the fellowship is because they're a service and because they're something that they have a product that can be sold and can bring in profits and revenue. I told them, I'm like, this is the rate I'm going to ask for. But every month, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to be able to bring at least two to three times that back in value just from sales. So that's that's how I ended up with that cross of marketing sales job is because I wanted to be able to outpace my burn as an employee, right? Like it doesn't make sense to to burn 4500 a month on just marketing. But it does make sense if the person's bringing in $15,000, $20,000 in sales. So for everyone out there that's listening and trying to figure out how to value themselves, right? Like you have to ask yourself is like, what do I value my work at? Have I had previous like work? So like I worked for about four to five other NFT projects before I was able to secure that rate. And it took about five to six months of building to really get there. And the thing is, like, I make sure I put in the time to quantify that value. Don't sell yourself short in this space, right? Like no one should be working for a hundred dollars every two weeks when you launch a project right like typically they can raise anywhere from twenty five thousand to millions of dollars right there's no reason to sell yourself short as a web3 worker if you know that you can bring the same amount or more value in yeah and i love that you kind of emphasize not selling yourself short i think at least from what i can tell a lot of people enter this space maybe with limited background experience and whatever their background experience was definitely doesn't directly correlate to what they maybe are trying to do here. And so they kind of feel like 
well, I'm not qualified, right? Or I don't, I don't have experience doing this. So like, can I ask for money? Is that appropriate? And really, you have to kind of take the time to think about everything that you've done in your life up to this point, education, extracurriculars, volunteer activities, side hustles, like all of those things have taught you valuable skills that can be transferred to a new industry that you have no experience in. It's just a matter of figuring out what those skills are and what use cases in that industry are that you could apply those skills to and then being able to articulate that in a way that shows people your value even though you may not have apples to apples experience. Like it's possible to do. You just kind of have to have the confidence in putting yourself out there. And I think another thing that like I found really helpful, right? And like this one does have a barrier to entry, right? is buying into certain like blue chip projects that will get you connected with a certain group of people. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about NFTs and JPEGs, right? Is like you can quantify its value by its floor price or you can quantify its value by the connections and people you were able to meet in the space, right? So like I want to say that if I never bought a Solana Money Boy, I wouldn't have a quarter of the network I do today because it put me in touch with a bunch of community managers, developers, artists, and other people that really have put their heart and soul into Web3. And so sometimes all it takes is a JPEG to put you in touch with the right people. You just got to find the community that you're you're trying to set yourself with. Yeah, I feel like curating that group of people around you is so important. And especially like how you behave or how you act in a market too. Did you hear about that one kid that like basically schemed the DDAO out of a dead god and then he floored it immediately? Oh, wait, he won the giveaway and then he floored that shit? No, it wasn't even a giveaway. It was some really young, like, 14 or 15-year-old kid that was, like, he was, like, responding to Frank's messages, like, every Twitter. He was, like, notification gang. He'd always be first on the Twitter. He went into, like, the uh, the D-Gods Discord and he was, like, asking for an internship and he was just being, like, a really proactive member of the community. And he asked for a free D-God on one of Frank's friends dms so one of the not one of the main people um but one of the people that run the project and they fundraised for him and they got him a dead god and then he floored it immediately um and frank mentioned something that really really stuck with me on the twitter space where he was discussing that he thinks that part of the reason that the dude floored the d god or the dead god is because maybe it was the circle that he was with where he was like just get in get out for quick profit and what's crazy is with the amount of ambition that he seemed to have and the internship and all the stuff that he wanted to contribute to the space he would have been so much better off just kind of relying on the money printer and building his connections while he was at it but at the end of the day it was the circle of people around him i think I'm, i don't want to speak on certainty for this but i suspect that the the group of people that he was surrounded with were kind of encouraging that quick flip mentality as opposed to the network building which is crazy considering he was in the d gods discord or whatever but i mean to, to each their own but it just it reminded me of what you said in terms of networking and like who you're connecting with and kind of what your intent is when you're going after all of this stuff like where is your heart when you're trying to add value to the space is it exchange like a transactional or like do you actually want to build something kind of for the long term and with a lot of the greed that's kind of currently in the market i'm wondering at least for you do you see any current trends in in nfts or i suppose the macro environment are there are there things that you're seeing or you're maybe playing a little more patiently because of all the fear right now or do you buy up because all the fear I have a pretty big JPEG bag, personally. So, <laughs> honestly, like, 
my thing is like I I, I want to be here for the next three to five years. I think the biggest things that we're gonna see is organized and very tight knit communities are gonna survive as DAOs, right? Like those are places that people want to go to because they want to actively engage with people similar to them and they want to feel like they're a part of something bigger. So like D Gods did a really great job with that. Um, another thing I think is going to be really successful in the coming years, provided Solana's not at zero, is going to be services and infrastructure for Web3. Like are you are you building things in the space like launch pads, staffing services, um, DeFi protocols, like a lot of those things are long-term plays that people don't have the patience for now. So, like, I think there'll come a time when we, we see an end to the degen mints and the animal PFPs. And it'll, it'll probably go to, a, at least in my vision, like, some kind of variant of traditional Web 2 businesses coming into Web 3. So, like, Jittery Ape Coffee is a good example, right? Like, they're a coffee brand, but they want to expand to a global audience. Web 3 is a great way to do that. Or Web 3 is even a great way to build, like... Um, we launched Supply Chain. I don't know if you know who they are, but... Um, Daramola? Yeah, Daramola. Yeah, I, I talk to Daramola sometimes. and he, He's really cool people. We had a really long conversation about this. And so he's building... It's all, more like a social club, right? Like uh, Supply Chain Social Club, where it's like the, the focus isn't necessarily on the Web3 stuff, but a lot of the, the integration, networking, and connections that he has that gets extended to his holders. So nobody knows anything. Anyone that claims that they can predict the future with the NFT space is lying. But I would say infrastructure, services, and community are going to be really like the big three. We'll see the death of useless staking and, and breeding and all the other things that we know in the NFT market today. And I, I don't know, like with regulation coming in, I'm really curious to see how projects react to that. Like when the hammer comes down, who's going to be left standing? Aurora, actually, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good question. And I know that I saw something maybe about like a month or two ago where Biden had kind of made some type of announcement that he plans on pushing for more regulation in the crypto space. And then the Russian government, I think, kind of jumped on that as well and, and agreed. I personally can't pretend to know that I can predict what type of regulation is going to come into this space. But when it does, you know, hopefully we can be sort of ready to, I don't want to say kind of help frame it, but of course we want regulation that is not going to take away the core values of what we have been trying to build in this space from the beginning. And I would hate to see the regulation come in and try to do the complete opposite, but it is bound to happen. And part of me thinks that it's a good thing, regulation, because I feel like we're not going to see the mass adoption, like the mass entrance of people from Web 2 to Web 3 and really starting to expand use cases into the real world until there is some level of government interference, because a lot of people are kind of scared and apprehensive about operating in this space when it is kind of the Wild West right now. And like, you know, there are steps that you can take to protect yourself, but there is a also a lot of risk. And until the government starts interfering and protecting users in the space, I really truly believe that that mass 
adoption is going to be really difficult to achieve. So it's it's a good thing and a bad thing. But if I had to guess, like 97% of projects that are out right now are not going to be here when that time comes. And probably 95% of the concepts of the utility that projects and the value that projects are providing right now is not going to be a thing at that point either. Because at that point, we're going to definitely be moving more towards like, what am I actually getting out of this in my real life and not just kind of the Ponzi-nomics and like meta that we're seeing at the moment. Can I can I play an Uno reverse card right here? Yeah, do it. All right, I'm about to ask you a question. Okay, so currently the culture of Solana is incredibly unique, right? Do you think we'll start to see more and more corporations start to dive into Web3 and try to maybe take over kind of like they have with Web2, right? Like we've seen the death of a lot of small businesses in the COVID era, right? Do you think they'll eventually try to push their way into Web3 and either acquire projects and put them under a corporate umbrella? Or do you think they'll come into the space, try to establish something and maybe not have the understanding of like what drives the community, right? And maybe not do as well. That's a tough question because I feel like it's going to depend on one when and to what extent the government gets involved because corporations already have this very structured way of doing business and policy that the government puts in place is in favor usually of that. So I'm not sure if companies are going to dive head first into the space until they have some sort of backing from the government like they do in real life. But also, too, yes, I do think in the next three to five years, more and more, we're already seeing it, right? Like Disney came out with their own collection. Gucci came out with a collection. Like Twitter is starting to integrate NFTs. Like it's happening. I don't think it's going to be as that some people might think it is. I think it's going to be slow going. But once it does get to that point where most of the big actors are starting to dabble and and dip their toes in, at that point, I think we're going to start to see some acceleration of those corporations jumping in. And when it comes to will they come in and honor the existing culture or will they come in and try to change it? That is obviously going to depend on the company, right? The company, their values, the founders, a lot of companies are going to try to come in here and use the tactics that they've been using in real life and realize that's not how it works here. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder, I wonder if like the, you know, because like one of the largest core values of Web3, right, is like decentralization. And I think corporations are an antithesis to that, right? Like they're the opposite of, I guess, the environment is truly. So like, I I don't know if they'd be able to sink or swim or if the people themselves would reject it and be like, no, this is for us. I think it depends on the approach of the company that's trying to use the Web3 infrastructure because the infrastructure is there. I would argue that it adds a tremendously unique way of adding value back to your holders, especially if you're a Web2 company with a proven business model and there are ways to create extra value to the people that buy into the NFT, but to the companies that are going to come in very ignorant about the whole space and not really know what they're adding or what they're doing. They just want to fundraise via NFTs because they've seen it can work. I don't think that's going to go over well. The other thing I'm thinking too is you know, I was talking about mass adoption, right? And like more and more consumers coming from Web 2 to Web 3. That's a good thing, right? Because we want to 
see the future grow and we want to see use cases expand, but could it also be a risk? Like we're talking about companies coming in and diluting the culture, but if we start to see a mass entrance of the standard consumer coming in, like what impact is that going to have on the culture? Mm, What do you mean? Mass adoption of the standard in real life consumer who the standard person who is not currently in web three who doesn't understand it who might be scared of it whatever it is those millions of people that aren't here yet if we start billions billions (laughs) right (laughs) if we start to see a mass entrance and an acceleration of people starting to come into this space from a consumer perspective not necessarily from a company perspective like how is that going to impact what we've built so far like that could have a negative implication to the culture and the values and the things that are so core to decentralization. Is it decentralization that brings people here? I feel like I'm here because I thought I could make a flip off some NFTs and get a bag doing it. And here I am seeing the infrastructure and the power of the tech. And I'm like, oh, this is here to stay. This could be really cool in the long run. But when you mention like mass influx of users, they're only going to come in one, if the barrier to entry is extremely, extremely low. And two, if it's really obvious what they're getting out of this space. And to that extent, I feel like it's impossible to, to answer your question like decently well, because when you have a large influx of users, they're going to have some kind of motivation to be here. And without knowing what that is, it's really hard to position yourself well. True. That is true. I guess there's really no way to predict. I guess we'll just have to stick around for the day and see what happens. <laughs> I, I had a thought kind of touching to that, right? It's like, how, how do you bring users into Web3, right? Like, either as workers or enthusiasts or anything like that. And, like, I was really thinking TikTok as, like, because, like, my thing is, like, I'm, I'm perfectly, like, fine using my face and, like, talking about things. And so, like, maybe just starting, like, a tick, like, an honest, candid TikTok series, right, where it's based off, like, hey, capitalism and the standard current working economy has been destroying my mental health. It's not putting food on my table. I'm working two, three jobs. All these companies keep offering me 12 to $20 an hour and I'm barely breaking even. Like, God forbid you have children. God forbid you have medical issues. Like, anything along those lines. And, like, I think that would be a really good platform to have candid interactions with a mass of people. Be like, well, how do you do it? How are you able to work from home? And it would be one of those few scenarios in which it wouldn't be a pyramid scheme or an MLM or some other shield stuff that, like, you're trying to sell them. You're like, no, this is a reality is that you can have autonomy. You can make a name for yourself. You can use your skills and services. Um, and like one of the best examples is my friend Soulcat from Everything Now. Like I said, they started off as a small commission artist. They were doing gig work here, gig work there. They spent the time. They put in the work. They they really dove headfirst into this. And they said, this is me. And I'm going to make a name for myself with my skill. And they made it, you know, they live in the Philippines where the average salary is about $400 every two weeks, I want to say for a nurse. And within, you know, just through the connections they build, they bought themselves four or five years of salary through their work. And they were paid fairly, like the project owner said, I'll pay you this for your work, because this is what I value it at. And this is what you value it at. Let's uplift each other. But that's kind of the thing, though, is like when I think of fellowship or when I think of mountain pay, I'm really bullish on projects that are trying to grow the pie instead of taking a bigger market share of the existing pie. Because there's so many people that still need to be onboarded. We just need the right project or right set of projects or right companies to be like, oh, we can make use of this, this and this. And then they start to experiment with NFTs. 
But Web3 offers a lot of opportunities for the average person to really make a name for themselves. Aurora, how did you get into this? Like, what was your defining moment? You two, um, no land. I'd love to hear how you guys stepped into this space. Yeah, um, I'll keep it relatively short. Um, it was probably about like November of last year. And I was spending a lot of my time scrolling through TikTok. <laughs> um, and I didn't really have a hobby um, or a passion. <laughs> and I was just working and scrolling through TikTok and Netflix, as many of us do. And somehow I got into crypto and NFT TikTok. And I saw this TikTok about web one, web two, and web three, like what the differences are. And we actually, it was a TikTok from Evan Mann, who we have had on the podcast before, like a couple weeks ago. He's an amazing communicator, provides incredible value to the space. And so I just fell down a rabbit hole of his content. And then, you know, the TikTok algorithm caught on and started pushing out more, <laughs> more NFT and crypto content. And from there, I was like, this is really interesting. So I tried to create my crypto wallet and I just could not figure it out. Like it just took me forever to freaking create my, my first crypto wallet. And in retrospect, it's silly because it's a pretty easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, and after that, I realized there's such a barrier to entry in the space of people might be interested, but not know where to start. And so I started teaching myself all of the core foundational concepts that come with crypto and NFT specifically and creating short form content on TikTok to teach other people what I was spending hours to teach myself in a very short and easily digestible way. And so from there, General Soul found one of my TikToks and he recruited me to the school. <laughs> Um, and he was like, I love your educational content. We need, you know, people like you in the army. And I, I got into the soul army, joined their podcast team, joined their council and eventually came up with the idea of web three connect. And that's how I sort of got here. I love that. <laughs> so uh, that's my story, but I don't know. What about you? No land. So yeah, about a year and a half. So I had heard about crypto maybe 2015 through this guy, Game Sagers, uh, video game stream. I ignored it for another like two, three years. And then I started, I heard about ETH. I learned a little bit more about what it was trying to do. And then I just, I got onto Coinbase and I did all the free, free money grab, uh, take a quiz and you get paid kind of thing. And my friend told me about Solana, which was a new L1 at the time. So I tossed a little bit of money. I think it was like 20 bucks at the time. And I had three soul when it hit 250. And this was my senior year of college, first semester when I was like, I want to flip NFTs. I don't know anything about it, but I want to get good at it. And I want to really make a lot of money doing it. And so I spent all of winter break learning about NFTs, getting rugged a few times. And yeah, I joined the army through just a little bit of cold DMing. I DM'd this guy Soft Money Incorporated on uh, Twitter. And I was like, how do I join an elite group without spending 55 grand on a monkey? <laughs> and he was like general soul is just creating a discord of good vibes and i got in and i saw this dude golden blazer that was like former pro poker player and i'm like wait this is so cool so i stuck around for a little bit and i've i've had a great time in the army since then so yeah now that i've graduated i'm looking to just do more web3 stuff full-time honestly 
Dude, if it's ever like any connections or anything I can do along the way, just let me know. Oh, I will. <laughs> I definitely will. I will say also, I've come to realize that I can use myself as a proxy for how a lot of people are acting. And in a macro, macro picture, when I recognize that people my age and especially younger are very open-minded to how the workforce and the general landscape and the creator economy, how it's changing the entire economy, I see at least in the future when a lot of old people die and young people start taking on more responsibilities, positions of power, and that great wealth transfer starts to occur. I also see that since I'm a participant in crypto, being as young as I am, I can also expect a lot of other people my age to be at least open or exposed to that idea. And maybe they'll play around with it too. And to that extent, I see the upside as to the whole space is just astronomical once those things kind of happen and play out over time. So I really just want to position myself nicely to to capture the insane upside that I anticipate we're going to see in this Web3 infrastructure. I don't know if it's going to be Solana in the long term. Maybe not, maybe, but I, I just want to be here. I think my thing is like, once you have the experience, right? And once you keep compounding on the experience, you can go cross chain, like if need be. Like if you're on Luna, that doesn't mean you know more or less than anyone on any other blockchain. You just have to be able to adapt to it. And then if you work for a services or infrastructure based thing, you can take that to a major web two company coming into the space. And they're like, I have no idea how to navigate any of this. And you're like, let me be your shining beacon in the dark. Yep. That's so smart. And I wonder what that's going to look like. Cause I know there's interest from a lot of these web two companies to get into crypto, but the entry point is really complicated and they don't know why they would be doing it. They kind of just know that they want exposure to it as a company. A lot of them don't know how to use discord which is where a majority of the communications occur. You actually brought up a great point that there is going to be an entire business around people freelance consulting for Web2 companies that want to onboard into Web3. Yeah, I get to do a little bit of it when I talk to some of these project launches, right? They're like, hey, I'm a Web2 company. I'm coming to Web3. I make clothes. I make jewelry. I make coffee, any of the above. But they're like, but I don't even know where to start in Web3. And I'm like, let me ping you in the right direction. And... You know, I think we're early, like either we're early or we're wrong, but I think we're early. (laughs) I love that phrase. I've never heard that before. And it's so true. We're either early or we're wrong. You know what? I think at this point in my life, like I'm 27 years old, I've seen astronomical rises and astronomical falls. And like at the end, I'm not deterred because I think that we're going to make it. The time's being spent, even if soul goes to zero, is not for nothing. All the skills and abilities and network and people can be directly translated to anywhere else. And so really the only ones that might get burned in the long run are the people that didn't put an effort in, in a sense, right? Like they they were there for the, the passive income Ponzi schemes. They were there for the hype jobs. But then when all the dust settles at the end of the day, like what's going to be left standing? And like I said, I think it's going to be people like you, Aurora, and No Land with Web3 Connect and other like important infrastructure based things so like y'all loaning protocols like i'm sure big banks have an interest in wondering how people are able to get four thousand dollar plus loans from a photo of a bear but like i mean i've done it before it's been amazing (laughs) i think with all the effort that we're putting in like we'll be greatly rewarded otherwise we're wrong and that's fine too but (laughs) on to the next one i guess 
Absolutely. And with that said, just to close it off here, I feel like we've touched on a lot of potential pieces of advice that listeners can extract from this conversation and apply to their lives. But if you were to kind of pick one piece of advice that you could give somebody wanting to go full time in the Web3 space, what would that be? Active participation nets you the greatest rewards over time. I think that summarizes everything, right? Like time in is time out. You get what you put into it. Just don't be afraid. Shoot your shot. Curate the best possible portfolio you can have. Present yourself professionally and just act with good faith and you'll probably make it. I think that's the best summary of what I think has contributed to my success. I didn't have any crazy mentors. I didn't have any industry connections. I didn't have any industry plugs. I was just a lone JPEG gremlin wandering in the dark and I figured out how to build a torch. <laughs> well said. Well said. I love that. Well, thank you so much, June Boss, for joining us. I have loved this conversation. This has been honestly one of the best episodes we've had so far. Thank you for joining us today. It's been awesome getting to pick the brain of somebody who, you know, came from a conventional in real life background and paved the way and is continuing to pave the way here in Web3 and create immense value for everybody you come in contact with. So it's been a real pleasure having you. Thank you, Aurora. And thank you, Nolan. I guess just like the, if I had to say one last thing, like, I don't think I would have made it without my friends. Make friends in the space, make genuine connections, and it will go a long way. So like, Aurora, I'm glad I met you. And Nolan, I'm glad I met you. We'll stay in touch for sure. Thank you once again. Yeah, man, it was a pleasure having you. All right, guys, that is everything we had for you today. Make sure to follow June Boss on Twitter at Forbidden Peeler, P-E-E-L-E-R. And make sure to check out at Fellowship Dow if you're looking for an NFT launchpad, not financial advice. If you'd like to keep up with us, we're at Web3ConnectX on Twitter. And if there's anyone in particular you'd like to hear on the podcast next, shoot us a DM and we'll try our best to get them on for you. With all of that said, we will see you next week.